Happy Easter. Now there's seats up front if anybody's daring to get <laughs> I'm so glad that you're all with us. Oh, the Lord is good, is he not? We get to this time of year and we realize that God has a great love for us and it's poured out at the cross. In Jesus, we have new life. And just all that we are singing about, just I, I hope that you were feeling the joy of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord, as we were just singing those truths that Christ gives us new life. And he gives us purpose. And so we're going to look today in the scriptures at the resurrection of Jesus, but we're going to see Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. And we're going to see how his resurrection changed everything for them. How they went from being afraid and scared to being bold and out in the community making a difference for the kingdom of God. And God has that same calling for you, that same invitation to be in relationship, and that same purpose he extends to you. And I want us to see that today. So our passage, if you have a Bible, uh, you can open it to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be today. There's Bibles in the chairs in front of you if you want to borrow a Bible. If you're visiting today and you don't have a Bible, take one of those. It's a free gift. We want you to have it. I would love for you to take that home and be reading it. Uh, and then we'll also have the scriptures on the screen. So there's several options for you there as we get into our passage. So while you're finding that spot, I'm going to pray and we'll get moving into our passage today. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness towards man. That while we were fallen and sinful, doing life in our, own, in our own strength, in our own way, striving after the satisfaction of just whatever we wanted, being in rebellion against you, you, you still came. You sought after us. You came to rescue us. Jesus, you came willingly to lay down your life so that we could have a relationship restored what was fallen in the beginning, you came to redeem and restore. And we celebrate that today. So as we're in the scriptures this morning, Holy Spirit, would you just teach us? Would you open our hearts, give us understanding? May we be encouraged. May we be emboldened. May we leave this place with this great joy. We ask all of this in Christ's name, Father. Amen. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36 through 49. Verse 36, this is what we read. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why... Do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to the, of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So we see here in the beginning of this passage that they are in this upper room and the disciples are gathered together and they're talking about what has transpired And for a little bit more context, we read in John chapter 20, verse 19, this, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So they're not just in the upper room, they're they're locked in. So these Men from Emmaus have come back to share what's going on, and they're talking with them. And I kind of pictured it like this, you know, like you see in the movies where somebody comes up to the secret door in the alleyway, and they're like, you know, and then the little thing opens, what's the password? You know, like, and then like they get inside, and then they lock all the doors. Like, they're afraid. Like, they just saw their Messiah, Jesus, crucified and killed, and buried. And there's testimonies that he's risen, but some of them run down to the tomb, and and they see that he's not there, but they don't see him. They they haven't encountered him, and and so they're puzzled about all these different things that they're hearing, and what's going on, and they're like, and the Jews, if they find out that we're part of the way, the disciples who followed with him, they're going to kill us too. Like, if they'll do that to Jesus, they're going to do that to us. So these men are locked in this upper room, and they're like, what's going on? Like, what do we do? What's our next steps? What's the plan? You know, they're in there. And just miraculously, Jesus appears right there in front of them. No no wonder there's doubt, amazement, confusion, fear, disbelief, like, what in the world? Like, Jesus is here, and they're probably thinking, what did we eat? Or this must be a ghost. (laughs) So Jesus is standing in the middle of them, and they were discussing some things. Well, if we go back to just one verse, to verse 35, it says, when they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. It's, it's kind of interesting because when they're talking, when the men from Emmaus are talking, they're saying, hey, we, we met this guy on the road. And, and when, as we talked and we finally get to our destination and we sit down to eat, and then he disappeared from our sight. Like, he was gone. We realized this is the Christ. And so we wanted to tell you we saw him, but then he disappeared from our sight. And now he's appeared here, the risen Jesus, full of glory. And so he says to them, peace to you. The statement is to reassure them. It's to calm them. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? 
I get startled when I, I don't know someone's in the room and I turn around and like they're standing there just doing regular stuff. And I'm just like, oh God, you know, like, you know, Jesus appears and they're thinking, what is going on? And he's like, peace. He's the king of peace. He's the Lord of peace. He says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. He says to them, shalom, be at peace. He says, it is, it is I. So verse 38 he says this, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? He says to them, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I do. So Jesus goes right to the point of their sorrows, right to the, the point of their worries, to the point of their doubts. It's, it's encapsulated in verses 17 through 24. It's not just, I'm, he's like, why are you worried and doubting? Because he's standing there. He actually is talking about the deeper things. Like, what is going on in your hearts? You were up here being troubled. And that's what he starts talking about, those fears. And so from verses 17 through 24, this is what we read about the two men on the road and Jesus appearing to them and, and walking with them. It says, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cloopas, answered him. Now, you have to hear how he says this, right? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Like, buddy, really? Are you the only guy who shows up here and you don't know what just took place? <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about? For real? It's like, you don't know what's going on? And he says in verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's the greatest Bible teaching that we never get. <laughs> He goes through all the prophets, man, to be a fly on that guy's shoulder, you know, as Jesus says, and it says this about me here, and this about me here. Goes through all of Moses and the prophets, and then he goes into the upper room, and we read it in a passage here, <clears throat> excuse me. He says the same thing to them about all of the scripture speaking about who he is. God has clearly spoken to us. That Christ is our redemption, is our Savior, is the one who brings us new life, forgives us of sin, restores relationship with God, 
So Jesus is speaking there, and, and so we see that he goes right to this point with the disciples in this upper room. He says, what, why are you upset? What's going on? You see that Jesus was their hope. He, he brought the broken and the downcast near. He was the one to save Israel. All of this seemingly was taken in just a moment by the religious leaders uh, after the, after, right before the Passover. Now they are, they're afraid for their lives, and, and there's rumors of him being out, and they, just, they don't know what happened. He's like, why are you doubting? What's going on? And, and he, at this moment, it seems that the, there's a spirit, and they're afraid as well. They're thinking, how could this happen? How could he just appear? This can't really be Jesus, can it? Is this really happening? That moment of disbelief, is this real? Verse 39, it says this, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. See here, Jesus offers his body as evidence that, that their hope is secure. You still have your hope. He's not dead. He's like, all that you were hoping in is still alive because I am alive. They need not fear. He truly is alive. He says, here is my body. Jesus' body in this moment is, in a, is glorified, but it's also veiled. In the unveiled state, we read in Revelation what Jesus looks like, and it is an awesome thing to behold, his glory and how he looks. And then the mountain of transfiguration, there is a moment where he was not veiled before them, and he was shining and glorified, and the disciples saw him. In this moment, he's in a glorified body, but yet still veiled. When we see him again, he will not be veiled. It's an awesome thing. He says, here's, here's my body. It was broken for you. I, I, I died on the cross for you, but I'm not dead. I, raised, I was risen on the third day. So verse 40, he's, he says, and when he had said this, he shows them his hands and his feet. So these marks, these are the marks of our redemption. And he says, look at my hands, look at my feet. He has the, the piercing in his side still. Jesus is perfectly healed except for these marks. The Messiah, the Lamb, will wear these marks forever as a testimony of the great work that he has done to fulfill the will of the Father to bring us back. When we stand before him in heaven one day, he can say, look at my hands, look at my feet. These are the marks that brought you salvation. It's a testimony of what Christ has done for us, how he has, how he has rescued us, and he shows them, I am indeed Jesus, the one who was crucified. So he wants there to be no doubts in their mind. He says, touch me, see the marks. Then he says, give me something to eat. You have something here to eat? So he eats in front of them. So ghosts don't eat. Spirits don't have flesh and bone. They, he has the marks. So notice the change in these men. Here in verse 40, it says, and in verse 41, it says, and, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? So there's a big change in them. So they're afraid and they're hiding and they're locked in this room. And now there's joy. There's disbelieving and marveling. 
disbelief in the midst of joy. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had something where you're like, I, this is awesome, and is this really happening? Did God really do this? Like, I, I don't know. Like, he's like, somebody pinch me right now. Don't pinch me. Just, you know, right? It's like, is this real? Have you ever been there? Like, you're just wondering, like, is this really happening? We see this in the scriptures in several places. In Genesis chapter 45, verses 25 and 26, it says, So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is an old man. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. One of his sons was thrown into a pit, was sold into slavery, and he was told that his son was killed by wild animals. And so the brothers come back, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. He was like, wait, my, my boy, the one I love, the one I gave that special coat to, the one that you brought back, that coat in tatters with blood all over it that you told me he was killed, like he is alive? And not just alive, like he's ruling in Egypt. This can't be so. So he's just like, I, I can't believe it. Is it real? So we see that. Psalm 126.1, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Like, this has got to be a dream. God is so good. Like, this isn't real. Is this really happening? Has God really restored our fortune? Has he really been this good to us? Has he really been this kind? It was like a dream. Acts 12, 13 and 14. This is a fun one because Peter is arrested. He's thrown in jail. The church gathers together and they're like, we got to pray for Peter. Got to pray that God is going to do something and get him out. So they're in this, in this room praying that Peter would be released from jail. And this is what it says. And when he, that's Peter, knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So he gets out of jail and he's just like, hey guys, it's me, it's Peter. And she's just like, oh, just leaves him out there. And he's like, hello, I'm still out here, you know. She's like, I can't believe it. And she runs in and she's like, Peter's out there. They're like, no, we're praying for Peter. He's in jail. He's like, he's outside. They're like, well, why is he outside? She's like, oh, I left him out there. You know, like that whole thing. They're like, I just can't believe it. Like God's answering prayer. He's moving in lives. He's restoring. Like we see this in the disciples beholding Jesus, their salvation. They're like, this can't be real. Like I, I was, I'm, I'm touching him, but is this really Jesus? Like, oh my gosh. He's right here, right in front of us. Disbelief in the midst of joy. Sometimes I think we get a little bit numb to our salvation. It's like, yeah, I know the gospel story. Jesus died for sinners, and I'm a sinner, and he died for me, and I accepted that. Sometimes I think we get a little bit numb to the story of salvation, that we lose that. I mean... He rescued you. He rescued you from sin and death. He gives you new life, gives you a hope that's eternal. He says, it is secure, it is yours, and I have an inheritance for you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And we're just like, is this real? Yeah, 
It's real. I can't believe it. Believe it. Disbelief in the midst of joy. Verse 44, we read this. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says, Everything, everything written about Jesus as Messiah must be fulfilled. It must be fulfilled. Not one detail can be missed. Not one thing can be left out. That's a tall order. That's a God order. Only God can do that. Only God can fulfill these things. I had just a quick internet search where I was just looking up prophecies to be fulfilled. And so like this is here like just a a quick one. (laughs) And it's only 62 it's only 62 of the prophecies. And some of these on here are the more specific ones we think about, right? But Jesus, as Messiah, actually fulfills over 324 prophetic words as the Jews, as our Messianic brothers and sisters would say. There's over 320. And I think that's why some of them being not so specific, more general. I think that's why when leaders arose during the time of Jesus, they would say, is this guy the Messiah? Is this guy the Messiah? Because they're fulfilling some of these things, but Jesus must fulfill all of them. All of them. Hey. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's tall. That's the only time in my life I'm tall. I'm, yeah. It's when I'm up here. He has to fulfill all of them. Every single one. And you know, there's 14 that I wrote down that are the more specific ones that, that we know about. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. <clears throat> preceded by a messenger. Betrayed by a friend. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money for which the Messiah was sold for was then to be thrown to the potter which is the potter's field. Hated without cause, was silent before his accusers, executed by crucifixion, given vinegar to quench his thirst. Not a single bone would be broken at his execution. Would be executed as a criminal on a thief's cross. Would be buried with the rich and raised from the dead. The probability of that is 10 to the 17th power, just those 14, 10 to the 17th power. Uh, Josh McDowell did a, an illustration of what that would be like, and I'm sure he got it from somebody, but it was if you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars and you made it a couple inches high and you took one silver dollar and you painted it red and you threw it in the Texas somewhere. And then you just asked a random person to go up and on their first try, just without looking, grab the silver dollar and say, this is the one. He said the odds of that would be 10 to the 17th power. That's just for 14. 327. Fulfills them all. Fulfills them all. So we see that 
Jesus is the Messiah who has come to rescue us. He says all of these things must be fulfilled. And then he opens their minds, verse 45 through 47, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus reminds them of his mission. He says, why did I come? Well, the Christ should suffer. He should be killed and be resurrected. So forgiveness and repentance should be proclaimed in his name to all people. Now, there's this, there's this teaching that goes around in our culture today where they don't like the cross. They like Jesus. They like the idea of salvation. But they think that the father killing his son on the cross is this spiritual parental abuse. Why would he do that? Jesus willingly came. Jesus was not being abused. He willingly came to rescue. I mean, think about this, just in this parallel. When our men and women join the military and they go and serve, and they lose their life, they go willingly to serve, to rescue, to to help, to, to be that help in that present trouble in that situation, and we say, that's heroic. That's a hero. Jesus is the great hero. He came to rescue us. He willingly came. He willingly laid down his life, and he says in John 10, if I lay my life down, then I can take it up again, as the Father has commanded me to do. So Jesus goes and dies on this cross for you, And for me, he should suffer. That was the plan, that he would be our payment for sin. Without his suffering on your account, then you will have to pay for your sin. So you can can try to take the full wrath of mighty God for your sin, or you can allow the Son to do that for you. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He must suffer. He must be killed. He must be resurrected so that forgiveness is possible. And how do we receive it? By repenting, by believing, by turning to him. That is what we do. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus says this about his, about, uh, John says this about Jesus. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The resurrection is saying, I have destroyed the works of Satan. I have made salvation possible. I have made a way for you to be redeemed, for you to come back. I have destroyed what he has done. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and how he did it was through the cross. So we read in Romans 6, verses 1 through 11, this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly 
be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The result of what Jesus did, the result of the cross, what the gospel proclaims is that the old life is dead, new life is given. That there's no longer uh, the title a slave over us, but we are free. We are sons and daughters of God. We can be free from sin and the old patterns of brokenness. Christ was raised. We too have a resurrection to look forward to. We were dead to God, separated, but now we are alive to God, joined forever. That's the beauty of Easter. That's why we celebrate every Sunday, as a matter of fact. The church celebrates the first day of the week, the resurrection of their Lord. The Sabbath was on Saturday for the Jew. Jesus raised on the first day of the week, Sunday, and the church gathered in remembrance. If you ever wondered, why did we pick Sunday? It's because we remember every Sunday that Jesus was raised, that he rescued us, and that he will rescue all who will come to him. And we proclaim that, and we sing about it, and we marvel at it. Verses 48 and 49, it says, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus is talking to the men. He says, you're witnesses of these things. You've seen all of it. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So the disciples become witnesses of the gospel, the good news. They see all that Jesus has done. They see that he has risen from the dead. And it, and it changes everything for them. They go from being scared to being bold. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 28 to 32. It says, this is the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're talking to the apostles, and they say, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They are locked in a room afraid of the Jews and now they're standing before the, the, the board, the tribunal, the Sanhedrin, and they're proclaiming, Jesus saves. Why? Because they've experienced the resurrection of Jesus. They've seen him. They've witnessed it. They're like, this is true. We no longer need to fear. We no longer need to worry. All that he promised, we have received in him. 
we must go tell people about it. They go from being scared to being bold. They go from being afraid to die to willing to die. Acts 12, verses 1 through 4. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So Herod wanted to make good with the Jews in the region, and he knew that the Jews hated the church, and he said, I'll persecute the church, and that'll put me on good footing with them. They'll, they'll be favorable towards me and my rule. So he takes some, he lays violent hands on some of them, and it says here, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people to have him killed. This is when they're praying for Peter, by the way. This is where Peter is. He's in this jail, and he gets away from four squads. God delivers him out of that, and they can't believe that God does these things? Yeah. He does more than that. He rescues your soul from hell. He gives you salvation. That's greater than opening any prison door in real life. He rescues us and gives us peace with God for eternity. So here we see these men are willing to be seized. They're willing to die. They're proclaiming the name of Jesus. They did not hide, and they did not. He says, and I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So he sends them the Holy Spirit. They're not doing this in their own strength. They're doing this in the power of God as well. The Spirit of God emboldening them, empowering them. In those moments when they're thinking, I don't know if I can do this, the Spirit of God encourages them and says, you can because I will help you stand. I will give you what you need. I will help you through. And they're like, yeah, God's with me. I can do this. I can walk in this. They don't recant because they know it's true. And they have the Spirit of God with them. And so with this faith and with this gift of the Spirit, they're given a task. And those of us who claim Jesus as our Savior have the same task. And what is that? Start right where you are and start telling people about this beautiful Savior named Jesus. The one we celebrate today will save any who come to him, who would repent of sin and turn to him. He would rescue them from sin and death and give them new life and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. We just start right where we are. Here he says, you start in Jerusalem and you will tell the nations. He says, this will go out to the nations. We are the nations. Salvation started in Jerusalem and made its way through history and time and is here in Somerset today. We are the nations that the gospel is saving and it will save anyone. If it'll save us who are the uttermost of the world, it will save all. And so we start where we are. We tell people about this beautiful Savior and what he has done that he indeed lives to intercede for us and makes a way through the cross that we can have salvation. We talk about the goodness of God through Jesus, and we do it 
honestly, many times with just this joy and unbelief. I can't believe God saved me. I can't believe God's using me. I can't believe God has all of these things in store. Do you want that? Receive Jesus. Come, repent of sin, and receive Jesus and live for God and not for man. Let's finish our celebration this morning with, I'm going to pray, and then we'll finish with a a couple more songs just to sing and, and worship. So will you stand with me, and I'll pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Christ, our salvation. He is so good. And so, Lord, we pray that, that we would just, as these disciples, like these disciples, just receive the salvation with joy and that we would proclaim it to those around us and that we would walk in new life. We don't have to be slaves any longer to sin and the flesh and the patterns of this world. We can have new life. And your spirit will help us walk in all of the new ways of life. God, we, we want to just have a deeper relationship with you. And we know that that's through the Son. So we celebrate Easter, the rising of Jesus from the grave, because that is the promise fulfilled that we can have new life. So we celebrate and we worship. So receive our worship as one voice as we sing about the beautiful things you have done. And Father, if there's any in here today visiting and, and or hearing this gospel message and they haven't received the Son as their Savior, I pray that as we sing, Holy Spirit, you would just work on their heart, that they would hear that they can come now, even now, and just pray a simple prayer of repentance and ask you to be their Savior. You say in the scriptures, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I just pray that if there's any who haven't called on your name this morning, even while we're singing, that they would just do that and that they would tell someone, I've just been born again. I've just been made new. We worship in Jesus' name.